0: learning what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Christ, and how to move forward, how to grow in maturity as a disciple of Christ. And in this series, we're using the word forward as uh, as our outline. And so we spent several weeks on what it means to follow Christ. Uh, we saw there's a difference between being a believer and a disciple. If you don't know what that is, you need to go back and listen to those messages. A- and we here's the thing, here's the thing. God just kind of dropped this... Uh, I'm in my heart this morning. Uh, the goal of evangelism is to, come to get people to come to Christ. The goal of discipleship is to get people to become like Christ. You've got to get them to Christ first, but then the goal of discipleship is that we become like Christ. And so we become followers of Christ, not just so that we know about him, so that we can become like him. And that, that involves, following him involves obeying him. I don't know why how obedience has such a, a, a bad connotation in so many people's minds today. Like, like if you tell them to obey, they act like you're in legalism. It's not legalism. Legalism is when you think your obedience earns your righteousness. You can earn righteousness by the keeping the works of the law, being legalistic. But, but, but Jesus said in the Great Commission to, uh, to reach people, to make disciples, to baptize them, and to teach them to obey everything he commanded. Obedience is a good thing. So we spoke on the blessings of obedience. There's many blessings of obedience, and God wants to, to bless us, and God wants to protect us. That's what obedience is about. It's not just God giving you a list and seeing if you're going to keep it, keeping it. It's God saying, here's the way that you lived in order to be blessed and protected and provided for. It's a, it's a blessing. And then we spent several weeks on talking about how to reach others for Christ because we can't teach them until we reach them. And today I'm beginning to uh, talk about the W in forward, and that stands for the word worship. And, I, and I've preached on worship so many times. It's, it's, it's the heartbeat of our, our church, worship and missions and those type of things, touching God, changing earth. And I've preached on that hundreds of times. And, and, and so I was really praying and seeking God for, for a fresh approach and And he led me to this book. I mean, this book just, I was on Amazon buying something, and this book just, you know how their ads pop up? And this book popped up. I had never heard of it, never heard of the author, never heard anything about it. And I got it, and I read it, and I highly recommend it to you. And I'm using that book as a title for my message today. And the title is Discipleship Begins with Beholding. Discipleship Begins with Beholding. I encourage you, if you can go on Amazon, get that book. Uh, Sonia went on there and got it. I, I got the paperback. She got the Kindle, I think, for like $2.99, the Kindle edition. Uh, but really, if you want to know my heart, the heart of this church, I mean, it, it, is, it is in this book. Discipleship begins with beholding. And in this series... We've talked about how discipleship is one of our primary roles as a, and purposes as a church and as believers. But how do we make disciples? And usually we start off by saying, well, we, we make disciples by, by teaching the word. And that is a big part of it. But here's what I want you to hear today. Listen, you listening? Yeah. If all you have is information without transformation, you have not made a disciple. See, if I stand up here and say I'm teaching and nobody learns anything, I have not taught. I've just spoken, shared some information. But if nobody learned anything, I didn't really teach. And if that teaching does not lead to transformation or change in your life, I have not been discipling. We can't reduce discipleship down to the transfer of information. It's part of it. Learning is part of the discipleship process, but it's not the only thing. It's not discipleship unless the information enables us to behold the Lord and to be transformed by his presence, to be transformed into his image. Discipleship means to become like Christ, and we cannot become like someone we do not know. And some people think, well, I know about Christ. Knowing about Christ is great. But you can know, I can read a book about somebody and know about them, but I don't know them. I don't know them personally. You can read about Jesus and know about him but I'm not still not know him personally. The goal of discipleship is not just for you to know about, but that you become to, to know God. And you come. that happens by you spending time with him and, and beholding him. Discipleship begins with beholding Christ. That means you need to get a revelation of who he is. I love 2 Corinthians 3.18. That's going to be the text for this message. And I, I, I really love the Amplified Version, which says this. All of us, this includes you, right? Are you included in all? Okay, just checking. All of us with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are constantly being transformed into his very own image from glory to glory in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another by the Spirit of the Lord. Does that describe your life? I'm not asking anybody to answer out loud right now. This is what Paul says discipleship is. This is what Paul says transformation is. That as we behold him... We are transformed, changed from glory to glory. It's not all at once. It's from glory to gr- glory. But it's ever increasing. Yes, it has some ups and downs. We have some rises and falls. But but we're steadily growing in this. This is for all of us, not just some of us. And yes, some of us getting to know God, you do on your own. But in this verse, it's talking about as we all behold God, uh, we are changed into His image. So there is a personal experience of beholding the Lord. But there is a corporate experience like we had here together. Corporate means everybody together, all the people together, beholding the Lord, spending time in the manifest presence of God together. And listen, as long as our eyes are focused on circumstances, we'll never change. As long as our eyes are focused on ourselves, we will never be transformed. Hear me, get this. If you get anything today, get this. We become what we behold. We become what we behold. And if we are only beholding ourselves, we'll never change. We'll just keep being ourselves. Right. To become like Christ, we must behold Christ. You will become what you behold. You will become what you, what you worship. Listen, marketers know this. That's why they spend millions of dollars to get, get celebrities to endorse products. They know that people want to be like and become like people that they believe are beautiful or successful or talented in sports or entertainment so they spend millions because they know that people will turn around and spend billions to buy what the celebrities endorse as if me buying a pair of air jordans are going to make me jump any higher or run any faster turn me off but the point is Marketers know people want to somehow look like, be like people that they behold as as something they want to be. They behold as somebody beautiful, somebody talented, somebody successful. They want to become like that. And so they buy things in order that they can somehow feel like they are becoming like that. What do you behold? Who do you behold? Whoever and whatever that is, you will become like. So if you want to become like Christ, you must behold Christ. And to behold, the word behold means to look and to see, but it's not just a glance. It's not just a glance. It means to hold in your view, to hold it in your view. Beholding Christ takes more than just occasional glancing at him. And a lot of us go through that like that in life. We're concentrated on everything else in life, but then we occasionally give him a a, a glance. But Hebrews 12, 2 tells us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus of our faith. The Amplified Version says look away from all that will distract to Jesus. I love that. What is distracting you? What is distracting you? Let me tell you something. This just came to my mind right this moment. Any person who draws you does not draw you closer to God but that person who draws you away from God is not your friend. If you have people in your life who are trying to tear down your faith, they're not your friend. If you have people in your life who are trying to to mock you for what you believe, they're not your friend. If you have people in your life who are trying to turn you away from God, they are not your friend. They are not your friend at all. And you can't let people or anything else distract you. From looking unto Jesus. God's Word translation says we must focus on Jesus. Beholding God, beholding Jesus is our constant daily discipline. It takes effort. It takes discipline. Part of discipling is discipline. To stop focusing on other things, you will catch yourself all the time. Your your mind automatically goes in certain directions. You've got to take your thoughts captive. Captive. Rather than being captive to your thoughts. And that's the key to becoming like him. Choosing to get your focus on him as much as you can. Think about this. You cannot even be born again without beholding Christ. Without seeing him for who he truly is. In John one twenty nine, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, look, look at Him. Stare at Him. Look at Him. This is the Lamb of God. He is the one who takes away your sin. And before you become a disciple of Christ by beholding Christ, you must first be born again by beholding Christ and and seeing Him as the Lamb of God and placing your faith in Him as the one who takes away your sin. You've got to have a revelation of Him first. And if you don't see Jesus as the one and only Savior, you cannot be saved. And I'll take it further. If you don't see Jesus as the healer, you will not be healed. If you don't see Jesus as the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, you will not be filled. If you don't see Jesus as the deliverer, you will not set, be set free. We must focus our eyes uh, uh, and behold the author and the finisher of our faith. But I'm preaching way better than you are amening. I mean, really, come on, you got to, you got to, you got to be with me here this morning with unveiled faces, nothing hindering, nothing coming between us and God. We behold as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. What's the glory of the Lord? There's different words of glory they mean different things. But one of the main ones is it's the outshining of his attributes, like today, when that last about the goodness of God, that's that the glory of God. When, when the glory of God passed by Moses, what did he see? He saw his goodness. He saw his goodness. It's the, good, it's the glory of God. And by the way, we learned from Moses that no more can look directly at the face of God. In Exodus 33, when Moses asked God to show him his glory, God said in verse 20, You cannot see my face, no one may see me and live. Since we cannot look directly in the face of the Father, he revealed himself, to us in His Son, Colossians 1.15 says He Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Hebrews one three says the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining by His outworld. Jesus, the exact representation of your God is not like Jesus, and your God is not God at all. Because when we see Jesus, we behold God, and when we behold Him. The Holy Spirit changes us. That's what that verse says. When we behold the glory of God, the Holy Spirit transforms us. And here's one of the ways that it happens. Listen, when you first start a, a beholding God, in his light, it shines light on you. You see yourself in his light. And your perfection compared to his perfection. When we see glory, his glory, when Isaiah saw himself, I said, Lord, hide the temple. And shout, me! And I'm a man of unclean lips. Yes. Job said he had heard of the Lord, but he said, Now when now I my eyes see you. Yeah. So what do I do? I repent in dust and ashes. Yeah. When we first, when we really get a revelation of God, it gives us a revelation that we are not him and we need him. But it shows us how how unlike him we are. And it shows us, though, where we are going because God wants to change us into his likeness. And we do that as we behold him. The, the, the phrase beholding the Lord has, has two meanings. It means to behold oneself as in a mirror, and it means to serve or or act as a mirror, to reflect. In fact, translations: The New King James says, "We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord." The NIV says, "We, with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory." Which is it? It's both. But you got to behold before you reflect. As it says, to behold the Lord as the same way. We behold ourselves in a mirror. It's not just a glance. It's an intense stare. It's like when a man shaves or a woman puts on, make- on her makeup. I mean, you are really looking in the mirror. You are making sure, you know, I, get, I have to get these days one of those mirrors that, that, that's like uh, magnified. Whoa, you know, so I can really see everything. And, and it's a scary thought sometimes. But, but, but you, if you want to shave and get all the white hairs off your face, I mean, it, it, you got you to gotta see them. It's not just glancing. It's not glancing. No, we're not Jesus, but we're naming the name of Christ, and they through us. See, we're like the moon. The moon has no light of its own. What does the moon do? It reflects the light of the sun. We should be reflecting the light and the life of Christ to those people around us. And so those reflections vary between people and vary in our own lives from, from a full moon to a half moon to a quarter moon to sometimes it's like a, 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 a total eclipse reflecting going on but the lord reflected in our lives uh, is, is that reflection of light or dark is it real or is it a distorted image we've been created in the image of god but sadly many times that image is distorted in our lives we're all in, in some way reflecting something of god our goal is to become a perfect mirror image of christ will we ever be perfect in this lifetime no but we have the promise That ever increasing glory to glory, faith by strength, faith, little by little, we behold the Lord's glory. He will transform us into his likeness with ever increasing glory. The word transform means to take on a different form. And that that could be an outward change or an inward change. And here it's talking about an an inward change. And and from glory to glory means that this transformation is not a one-time event. It's an ongoing process all through your lifetime. You're being constantly transformed. As you behold Christ, you become more and more like Christ. So how do we behold the Lord? Think about that for a minute. How do we behold him? How do we behold him? And here's something I really want to address. Because many people think that beholding God requires some kind of spectacular, dramatic encounter with God. Like the people of Israel had with God on Mount Sinai. Like Moses had at the burning bush. Like Saul had on the road to Damascus. We have Christ. Change him to the Apostle Paul. By the way, They they all about somebody who's totally transformed into a believer in a revelation of who Jesus is. He hated Jesus because he had the wrong, the wrong information about who Jesus was. Once he saw him for he, who he really is, he instantly loved him and served him his whole life. But this kind of thinking that encountering God has to be some kind of huge encounter, I think it hinders people because those encounters were very rare in the Bible. They're rare today. Most people in the Bible did not have those kind of encounters. Most of the time, beholding God is much more ordinary than that. And it happens through uh, our daily routines. It happens through, through intentional activity. It, it happens uh, that way. So don't let your desire for the dramatic... Or the spectacular keep you away from beholding God in your everyday life. Listen to me. The key key to this is little by little. It's not some huge thing that that changes you forever. That can happen. But most of the time, it's a little bit here and a little bit there. A daily God in the person of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, the main way we behold God is through his word. The main way we behold God today is through his word. But first, we've got to realize that, that we behold him in Jesus, who is the living word. John 1, 1-5 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verses 10 through 14 say, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. Think about that. He made the world. He came to the world. The world did not even recognize him. They didn't know him. He came to his own and they did not receive him. But, thank God, as many as received him, That is who Jesus is, the exact representation of God, the glory of God. And he is full of grace, and he is full of truth. He came to earth for his own people, the Jewish people, and they could not receive him or know him because they did not see him for who he truly was, the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord. But those who could behold him, those who could see him, those who could see him in all his glory, they received him, they believed in him, and they became the children of God. Beholding God means you get a revelation of who He is. I'm praying that God would give you the the eyes of understanding, of wisdom and revelation, and open your eyes to see God for who He really is, that He would overcome all your misconceptions of who He is that are holding you back. But you would have a revelation. And much of the time, that comes through the, the written Word of God, spending time with the Word of God. But you got to always remember, the main purpose of the written word is to reveal the living word. In John, Jesus was having a confrontation with some religious leaders. And in John 5, 39 through 40, here's what Jesus said. You diligently, diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. Get this down. You can search the scriptures and miss the point. The point is Jesus. I want you to really listen close to me in this part. This is so important. You can have Bible knowledge and not have eternal life. You can know about God and not know God. You can know doctrine and you can know all the doctrines of the church and not know God. You can Jesus will say to you at the end times, depart from me. I never knew you. You can know the word of God and not know the God of the word. So when you read the Bible, your goal should be behold Jesus. You need to see Jesus. Jesus is in every book of the Bible. If you can have the revelation and the faith and the understanding, when you begin to read, I, I would encourage you, Lord, Lord, show me yourself in this word. God, show me what you want me to see in this word. And in this passage in John, when Jesus said, the scriptures testify of me, what scriptures was he talking about? The Old Testament. That's all they had at that point. That's all they had at that point. That's the only Bible they had. The, the law and, and the prophets and, and the historical books. That, that's all they had. And Jesus said, they all testify of me. After his resurrection, Jesus met two men on the road to a And Luke twenty four twenty seven says, Begin with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. If you're reading the Old Testament and all you see is a bunch of laws and a bunch of sacrifices and a bunch of sheep and a bunch of killing, if that's all you see, you're missing the point of the Old Testament. You can see Jesus not only all the way through the New Testament, but through the Old. In fact, there is a theme woven throughout the whole Bible. And if you understand this theme, you understand the Bible and the plan of God. If you don't understand this theme, none of the Bible will make sense to you. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me, in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 2, Paul said, I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. Listen, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul said the message he concentrated on that he got from God was Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's why in 1 Corinthians 23 he said, we preach Christ Christ. Christ crucified. That's the message. That's the message of the Bible in one sentence. Jesus Christ and him crucified. The scarlet thread running through the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross. In the very beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God shed the blood of animals and covered Adam and Eve with their skins. And that shed blood pointed to the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross all the way back in the garden. In Exodus, in the Exodus from Egypt, when God told his people to kill a lamb and put the blood on the doorposts of their house, that Passover lamb pointed to the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 5-7, for indeed Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed for us. Whenever the high priest went into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement and sprinkled blood of the lamb, mercy seat, that blood, that pointed to the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. That was sprinkled on the heavenly mercy seat. In fact, every single blood sacrifice in the Old Testament pointed to the shed blood of of Jesus Christ. You can also see Jesus Christ in every feast of Israel. And that scarlet thread runs all the way through the Bible to the book of Revelation where John had a vision and a revelation of Jesus as a lamb that had been slain. John said in Revelation 5, 9 through 12, he saw angels, and they sang a new song. Here it is. You are worthy because you were slain, and your blood has purchased men for every, You have made them to be a kingdom to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Yeah. Then I looked. I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 and they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice they sang worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Go ahead, give us some praise right now. Join in with that. That praise is going on in heaven right now and one day I'm going to join in with that heavenly choir. And one day, if you're a born-again believer, you will be there to join in that praising of the Almighty God. Here's the other part of this theme of the Bible. God sent His only Son to earth to die for our sins so that He could be the firstborn of many brethren, the firstborn of a vast family who will behold the Lord and worship him together. God had an only begotten son that he loved so much that he said, I want a big, huge family of kids all just like that one. And he's got us all. That's why Jesus came to die for us. That's why God's got us in this process of change that we might become like Jesus and worship him together. After the children of Israel sacrificed the Passover lambs, they they left Egypt. They went out into the wilderness to do what? To worship. A lot of people miss this point. Go back and read it. It says different in different translations. You have to look up what it means. Sometimes it says, we're going out to sacrifice. But that was part of their worship, the blood sacrifice. Every time Moses went to Pharaoh to ask him to let God's people go, he said it like this, like he did in Exodus 17, 7.16. The Lord, the of Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me. Let my people go so that they might worship me. You see, when God sets you free, listen, it's freedom with a purpose. And that purpose is that you might be free to worship. That's the first purpose. There's more things. We make it all about ourselves. Now, I'm free to do this or free to do that, and I'm free from that, but you are free to worship. And you're not free until you are free to worship. If you're still being held back in bondage and, and, and you can't express worship and praise to God, you are not free yet. And when Israel got to Mount Sinai, they all, they all experienced beholding God together. They, saw, they all saw his awesome uh, manifest presence together. In fact, to most of them it was a scary thing. They didn't want to get close to it. They told Moses, you go, you get close to it. Because you see, up until then, God had only revealed himself to to individuals like Abraham and Jacob and Moses. This was the first time in Bible history that an entire corporate people gathered together, beheld the manifest presence of God together. And God is showing us that his purpose is for us to behold him together, to become like him together in order to represent him to the world and to the nation together. That's why God said it to them in Exodus 19, 6. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation set apart to the worship of God. And I read you that verse out of out of Revelation where, where it says, I have made you a kingdom of priests. So it happened. By the time you get to Revelation, it, it happens. But we're in the process now of becoming a kingdom of priests, a holy nation set apart to God. And that's our purpose today. That's God's purpose all the way through the Bible. He wanted a people who would love him, who would behold him, who would worship him, who would become like him, and who would represent him to the world. 1 Peter 2, 5 says it like this, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You, you are part of this. God is building us together. In fact, Ephesians 2.21 says, In Christ you are being built together. Why? To become a habitation of God through the Spirit. God is building us together to be a people where His presence dwells. Listen, we know God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. We know God is in us when we are believers. That's His inner presence. But there's another thing like we entered into today together is, is the manifest presence of God. God shows up. We experience Him. We experience. He speaks to us, and He does things. He does things into our life. in our lives. That's what God is building here. It's not about the building we have. We are the building. Yes, we are individual temples, but together He is building us to become a habitation of God. I want us to be a place where the presence of God dwells, where we behold Him together, where we're transformed transformed. transformed into His likeness together, and where we represent Him to the world together. To do that, we've got to behold the Lord in the Word. We've got to behold the Lord by the Spirit. We've got to behold the Lord in prayer and in fasting. We've got to behold the Lord in His people. We've got to behold the Lord in our praise, in our worship. We must fix our eyes on Jesus. Listen, in these last days, you must fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't fix your eyes on the news. Don't fix your eyes on entertainment. Don't fix your eyes on everything that's going on around you. I'm not saying don't ever look at it. You need to know what's going on in the world. But don't let that be your main focus. That will get you down, depressed, upset, and in fear. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Listen, when we're lost, we've got to behold Him as our crucified Savior. When we're empty, we must behold Him as the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. When we're sick, we must behold Him as our healer. When we are addicted or oppressed by by the enemy, we must behold Jesus as our deliverer. When it seems like we're walking in darkness, we must behold Jesus as the light of the world. When we can't find our own way, we must behold Jesus because He is the way. When we're searching for truth, We must behold Jesus because He is the truth. When we feel like life is draining out of us, we must behold Jesus who is the life and who gave us abundant life. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. Behold the man who Pilate said, I can find no fault in him. Behold the judge who's standing at the door. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah who's coming back to earth with 10,000 of his saints to rule and reign forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Behold the Lord your God, because discipleship begins with behold Him. Let's stand to our feet and bless His name. Let's bless Him together. Let's give Him glory. Let's give Him honor. God, we love you. God, we worship you. God, we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your name. We bless your name. We bless your name. Lord, there's none like you. I'm going to pray this over you, and I'm going to ask you to to take this. Write this down, Ephesians 1. Verse 15 through 22, 3. <clears throat> I want you to pray this over yourself. Every day this week, part of it right now. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray for these people, the people of faith. That you, the Lord God, the Father of glory, will give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we may know the hope of our calling and the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints and the exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe. God, show your power as we believe according to the working of your mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead seated him at his right hand in heavenly places far above principality and power and might and dominion and every name that can be named not only in this age but in the age to come and he put all things under his feet, his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all Lord give us that spirit of wisdom, righteousness, revelation, and knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 Hallelujah. God's good.